Thank you, Dorian. And please do keep that passage open in front of you, page 1,220 and 21. And let me offer a prayer as we seek to dig into this passage a little bit. Lord, whether it's Abraham and Sarah, whether it's Moses or David, or whether it's Peter, you paint the pictures of your saints of old in vivid colours, and you spare not their faults, but also you spell out the grace and forgiveness that you have for them and for all of us. So thank you that Peter speaks and writes out of his own experience of having stumbled, yet having been restored by your wonderful grace. May we, each of us, enter into more deeply into that wonder of your grace. Amen. I wonder if you think that the Christian faith is under more pressure today than perhaps ever before. A recent uh, consultation held in Belgium uh, learned that over 200 million Christians worldwide are experiencing serious or extreme persecution in more than 50 different countries. Women are disproportionately affected. In Nigeria, Christian girls are being abducted and impregnated by Boko Haram. In Egypt, extremists are paying men to abduct women, force them into marriage and convert them to Islam. And in Pakistan, women are being kidnapped, raped and forced to change their religion. And the women themselves often feel so much shame that they feel too ashamed to even speak up and speak out about what's been happening to them. Closer to home, a recent survey of over 12,000 Christians here in the UK found that nine out of ten of us feel that our faith is marginalised by society. We don't mind you being a Christian, just shut up about it. And don't let it interfere with your work, your education, and certainly not with politics. Nearly half of those who responded said that they had personally experienced prejudice because of their Christian faith. And over a quarter said that they feel unable to be open about their Christian faith in their workplace. Closer home still, many of us here in church this morning will be feeling the pressure of living as a Christian in an increasingly secular society or living as a Christian in a job with an unsympathetic boss or set of colleagues or living as a Christian in a relationship where the other person is not a believer. And all of these pressures on top of the pressures that are common to everyone simply by virtue of our membership of a fallen human race living in a broken world. It feels like unprecedented pressure. And yet you know it's not 
new. Peter's first epistle has as its background a suffering church. If, with your Bible open in front of you, you can just turn back to the end of chapter 4, where Peter says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. We suffer ourselves for and with Christ. It comes with the territory. Christ said his followers would. In this world you will have trouble. And Peter now confirms it. And so then, says Peter in verse 19 of chapter 4, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And now at the beginning of chapter 5 comes an untranslated therefore. It's because of this, it's because you are suffering on account of your faith, it's because of the pressures you're experiencing as Christians that this is now what you need to do. This is what you need to do, says Peter, in order to keep going under pressure. So that's my theme this morning, keeping going as a Christian under pressure. First point, number one, keep going with integrity, verses one to four. Keep going with integrity, verses one to four of chapter five. Peter is addressing specifically the leaders of the Christians who are scattered around uh, various parts of what we now call modern Turkey. He calls them elders because the leaders needed to have experience. They need to have some maturity. He calls them overseers because they watch over God's people. And he calls them shepherds because they should pastor with care God's flock. And I wonder when Peter wrote down the word shepherds, he had a flashback, not only to the teaching of the Lord Jesus about him being the good shepherd or the parable of the shepherd who searches and finds the lost sheep, but also a a flashback to that episode that I reminded you of earlier in our service, when Peter, having, remember, denied Jesus at the critical time three times, is now encouraged by Jesus to, what? Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. John chapter 21. So Peter is seeking out of his own experience of being called to be a caring, nurturing pastor. And now he wants others to do the same with integrity. Where does that word come from? Well, I think it comes from the fact that Peter is interested in the motives of Christian leaders in verses 2 and 3. Not because you must, but because you are willing. These days, psychologists distinguish between what they call extrinsic motivation, doing things because we have to or because we're paid to do them, and intrinsic motivation, doing things because we want to. And they always say the second is far more powerful. 
But Peter discovered that much earlier. Not because you must, but because you are willing. So there's something about integrity of motive, something about integrity of goal. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Now, not many would go into the Christian ordained ministry, the Christian ministry for money, (laughs) certainly not in, in Western culture, but they may go in for other ungodly, Self, more selfish reasons, simply because it's a secure job, perhaps even. But Peter says to Christian leaders, don't go into any kind of Christian ministry primarily for what you can get out of it, but because of what you can put into it. And then there's integrity of method. Not, says Peter, lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Now, many of us, many of you, are leaders in the Christian church in one way or another. What kind of example are we setting? Somebody has put it like this, that the spiritual temperature of a Christian congregation will rarely exceed that of its ministers, that of its leaders. What kind of example are we setting Others, including our young people, will see through our sham and pretense and see whether we are working and speaking with integrity as good examples. So if we're not in it for money or other kind of personal gain, is there therefore no reward for Christian service? Well, far from it, says Peter. Yes, there is indeed a reward. Verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. And that crown of glory is not so much uh, the king or the queen's diadem for ruling. It's much more the sports person's victory garland. And Peter says, be patient but you will receive such a victory garland and it will never fail. The British runner Joe Pavey yesterday received her bronze medal 10 years after she ran the race. She had to be very patient. As Christians, we may have to be still more patient, but God has promised a crown of glory that will never fade. That, says Peter, is worth waiting for. So keep going with integrity. Secondly, keep going, verses 5 to 7, with humility. Keep going with humility. Um, As Peter puts it, clothed with humility. The idea is of taking off your, your loose robes that would get in the way of what you need to be doing and wrapping around you some tighter garment like an apron. Again, is Peter having a flashback here to John chapter 13, where Jesus takes off his robe and wraps an apron round him and washes his disciples' feet. Proud Peter had objected, you will never wash my feet. Yes, I will, says Jesus, and you must wash one another's feet. And Peter immediately turns in this little section from humility towards one another to humility under God's mighty hand, verse 6. And then he says how we are to do this by casting all our anxieties 
on God. Because it's a species of pride to keep our worries to ourselves. It's saying on the one hand, I can deal with this myself without God's hand. But it's also showing a lack of trust in the God who does care for us. The story is told of a backpacker who was offered a lift by a stranger. And so he got gratefully into the car, and he was sitting in the car, still wearing his heavy rucksack. And the driver said, well, why don't you take the rucksack off? And his passenger said, well, I'm so grateful to you for giving me a lift, I didn't want to presume (laughs) on you carrying my rucksack as well. I carry it myself. He wasn't prepared for the driver to carry everything for him. And how are we like that with God? We either want to give him our easy, our simple problems, and keep the more serious ones to himself, oh no, they're too hard for him, or the other way around. Cast all your anxieties on him, for he cares for you. So keep going with humility. And now thirdly, verses 8 and 11, of 8, 8 to 11, keep going even when you stumble. Peter, of course, had stumbled even as he left the starting blocks. When Jesus began to teach that he must suffer rejection and death, Peter stubbornly rebuked him. No, Lord, not that way. Don't go that path. And Jesus sternly rebuked Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Well, yes, Peter was learning the hard way about what he now writes about in verse 8, our enemy, the devil. And Luke 22, the words of Jesus are recorded. Simon, Simon, of course, that's another name for Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but... And do you not love the buts of the Bible, the buts of God, the buts of Jesus? But I have prayed for you. What grace and what love there is in that simple statement. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And then when you have turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. And that's precisely what he's doing now. And I wonder if Peter would have been in such a position to strengthen his brothers as he does now if he had not stumbled so badly on more than one occasion. But he knows, and he wants us to know, the devil may prowl, but Jesus prays. And it's no contest. As his fellow apostle John once wrote, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Be aware of the devil's plans and his prowling, but don't for a moment be scared of him because you are with Jesus and Jesus is with you and for you. So when in verse 10, Peter assures his readers that the Lord will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish his readers in all their difficulties, Peter knows what he's talking about, doesn't he? Because precisely 
that experience had been his. Peter himself had been restored, confirmed, strengthened and established. He knows what it's like to have stumbled and fallen and then for Jesus to have picked him up and say, now carry on. He knows what he's talking about. And so he's not speaking or thinking lightly when he says in verse 10 that God, his God, and our God is the God of all grace. God, the God of all grace. Grace to cover all of yesterday's failures. Grace to to support you in all of the pressures of today. Grace to lead you and to lead me safely home to what he calls God's eternal glory in Christ. Keep going. Keep going with integrity. Be what God has made you and don't pretend. Keep going with humility because God's way up is down. (laughs) Keep going even when you stumble and trust Jesus to pick you up and put you back and set you in the direction you should be going. Bring all your anxieties to him because your God cares for you. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, once again we thank you for the example and the teaching of your saints of old. Thank you that it uh, whispers and shouts across the years and speaks into our situation. Whatever pressures we are enduring ourselves, and some of them are severe, some of us are indeed refugees, um, uh, separated from home and from family, just as Peter's readers were. But give us all the encouragement and the strength to continue to live for him and to look forward to that great day when we'll be with you face to face in glory. Amen.